Section 7 of Grey's Anatomy, Part 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Alistair Lord. Anatomy of the Human Body, Part 2, by Henry Grey. Sternocostal articulations and articulation of manubrium and body of sternum. Sternocostal articulations. Articulations sternocotals. Costosternal articulations. The articulations of the cartilages of the true ribs with the sternum are arthrodial joints, with the exception of the first, in which the cartilage is directly united with the sternum, and which is, therefore, a synarthrodial articulation. The ligaments connecting them are the articular capsules, the interarticular sternocostal, the radiate sternocostal, and the costoxiphoid. The articular capsules, capsulae articularis, capsular ligaments. The articular capsules surround the joints between the cartilages of the true ribs and the sternum. They are very thin, intimately blended with the radiate sternocostal ligaments and strengthened at the upper and lower parts of the articulations by a few fibres which connect the cartilages to the side of the sternum. The radiate sternocostal ligaments, ligamenta sternocostalia radiata, chondrosternal or sternocostal ligaments. These ligaments consist of broad and thin membranous bands that radiate from the front and back of the sternal ends of the cartilages of the true ribs to the anterior and posterior surfaces of the sternum. They are composed of fasciculi, which pass in different directions. The superior fasciculi ascend obliquely, the inferior fasciculi descend obliquely, and the middle fasciculi run horizontally. The superficial fibres are the longest. They intermingle with the fibres of the ligaments above and below them, with those of the opposite side, and in front with the tenderness fibres of origin of the pectoralis major, forming a thick fibrous membrane, the membrana sterni, which envelops the sternum. This is more distinct at the lower than at the upper part of the bone. The interarticular sternocostal ligament, ligamentum sternocostal interarticular, interarticular chondrosternal ligament. This ligament is found constantly only between the second costal cartilages and the sternum. The cartilage of the second rib is connected with the sternum by means of an interarticular ligament, attached by one end to the cartilage of the rib and by the other to the fibrocartilage which unites the manubrium and body of the sternum. This articulation is provided with two synovial membranes. Occasionally the cartilage of the third rib is connected with the first and second pieces of the body of the sternum by an intraarticular ligament. Still more rarely, similar ligaments are found in the other four joints of the series. In the lower two, the ligament sometimes completely obliterates the cavity, so as to convert the articulation into an amphiarthrosis. The costoxiphoid ligaments, ligamenta costoxiphoidia, chondroxiphoid ligaments. 
These ligaments connect the anterior and posterior surfaces of the seventh costal cartilage and sometimes those of the sixth to the front and back of the xiphoid process. They vary in length and breadth in different subjects. Those on the back of the joint are less distinct than those on the front. Synovial membranes. There is no synovial membrane between the first costal cartilage and the sternum, as this cartilage is directly continuous with the manubrium. There are two in the articulation of the second costal cartilage, and generally one in each of the other joints. But those of the sixth and seventh sternocostal joints are sometimes absent. Where an interarticular ligament is present, there are two synovial cavities. After middle life, the articular surfaces lose their polish, become roughened, and the synovial membranes apparently disappear. In old age, the cartilages of most of the ribs become continuous with the sternum, and the joint cavities are consequently obliterated. Movements. Slight gliding movements are permitted in the sternocostal articulations. Interchondral articulations. Articulations interchondrales, articulations of the cartilages of the ribs with each other. The contiguous borders of the 6th, 7th and 8th, and sometimes those of the 9th and 10th costal cartilages, articulate with each other by small, smooth, oblong facets. Each articulation is enclosed in a thin articular capsule lined by synovial membrane and strengthened laterally and medially by ligamentous fibres, interchondral ligaments, which pass from one cartilage to the other. Sometimes the fifth costal cartilages, more rarely the ninth and tenth, articulate by their lower borders with the adjoining cartilages by small oval facets. More frequently the connection is by a few ligamentous fibres. Costochondral articulations. The lateral end of each costal cartilage is received into a depression in the sternal end of the rib, and the two are held together by the periosteum. Articulation of the manubrium and body of sternum. The manubrium is united to the body of the sternum either by an amphiarthrodial joint, a piece of fibrocartilage connecting the segments, or by a diarthrodial joint, in which the articular surface of each bone is clothed with a lamina of cartilage. In the latter case, the cartilage covering the body is continued without interruption onto the cartilages of the facets for the second ribs. Rivington found the diarthrodial form of joint in about one-third of the specimens examined by him. Maisonneuve more frequently. It appears to be rare in childhood and is formed, in Rivington's opinion, from the amphiarthrodial form by absorption. The diarthrodial joint seems to have no tendency to ossify, while the amphiarthrodial is more liable to do so, and has been found ossified as early as 34 years of age. The two segments are further connected by anterior and posterior intersternal ligaments consisting of longitudinal fibres. Mechanism of the thorax. Each rib possesses its own range and variety of movements, but the movements of all are combined in the respiratory excursions of the thorax. Each rib may be regarded as a lever 
the fulcrum of which is situated immediately outside the costotransverse articulation, so that when the body of the rib is elevated, the neck is depressed, and vice versa. From the disproportion in length of the arms of the lever, a slight movement at the vertebral end of the rib is greatly magnified at the anterior extremity. The anterior ends of the ribs lie in, on a lower plane than the posterior. When, therefore, the body of the rib is elevated, the anterior extremity is thrust also forward. Again, the middle of the body of the rib lies in a plane below that passing through the two extremities, so that when the body is elevated relatively to its ends, it is at the same time carried outward from the median plane of the thorax. Further, each rib forms a segment of a curve which is greater than that of the rib immediately above, and therefore the elevation of a rib increases the transverse diameter of the thorax in the plane to which it is raised. The modifications of the rib movements at their vertebral ends have already been described on page 302. Further modifications result from the attachments of their anterior extremities, and it is convenient, therefore, to consider separately the movements of the ribs of the three groups, vertebrosternal, vertebrochondral, and vertebral. Vertebrosternal ribs, the first rib differs from the others of this group in that its attachment to the sternum is a rigid one, this is counterbalanced to some extent by the fact that its head possesses no interarticular ligament and is therefore more movable. The first pair of ribs with the manubrium sterni move as a single piece, the anterior portion being elevated by rotatory movements at the vertebral extremities. In normal quiet respiration, the movement of this arc is practically nil. When it does occur, the anterior part is raised and carried forward, increasing the anterior, posterior and transverse diameters of this region of the chest. The movement of the second rib is also slight in normal respiration, as its anterior extremity is fixed to the manubrium, and prevented therefore from moving upward. The sternocostal articulation, however, allows the middle of the body of the rib to be drawn up, and in this way the transverse thoracic diameter is increased. Elevation of the third, fourth, fifth and sixth ribs raises and thrusts forward their anterior extremities, the greater part of the movement being affected by the rotation of the rib neck backward. The thrust of the anterior extremities carries forward and upward the body of the sternum, which moves on the joint between it and the manubrium, and thus the anterior-posterior thoracic diameter is increased. This movement is, however, soon arrested, and the elevating force is then expended in raising the middle part of the body of the rib and diverting its lower border. At the same time, the costochondral angle is opened out. By these latter movements, a considerable increase in the transverse diameter of the thorax is effected. Vertebrochondral ribs. The seventh rib is included with this group as it conforms more closely with their type. 
while the movements of these ribs assist in enlarging the thorax for respiratory purposes they are also concerned in increasing the upper abdominal space for viscera displaced by the action of the diaphragm the costal cartilages articulate with one another so that each pushes up that above it the final thrust being directed to pushing forward and upward the lower end of the body of the sternum the amount of elevation of the anterior extremities is limited on account of the very slight rotation of the rib neck elevation of the shaft is accompanied by an outward and backward movement the outward movement averts the anterior end of the rib and opens up the subcostal angle while the backward movement pulls back the anterior extremity and counteracts the forward thrust due to its elevation this latter is more noticeable in the lower ribs which are the shortest the total result is a considerable increase in the transverse and a diminution in the median anterior-posterior diameter of the upper part of the abdomen at the same time however the lateral anterior-posterior diameters of the abdomen are increased vertebral ribs since these ribs have free anterior extremities and only costocentral articulations with no interarticular ligaments they are capable of slight movements in all directions when the other ribs are elevated these are depressed and fixed to form points of action for the diaphragm end of section seven recording by alistair lord melbourne australia 2009